All right, well, keep pastoring your prayers. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, he had to go uh, to the doctor, get some stuff checked out, and he just got out, and so he's, uh, he's just going to head home and, and take it easy for the evening, but thank God nothing serious or anything like that. He had some, I think, numbness or something like that on the side of his face, and uh, they wanted to check it out, and so they did MRIs and EKGs and all those other letters that are all strewn together. And uh, they said they couldn't find nothing. They think he's got some kind of sinus uh, thing that's causing some uh, pressure and numbness in <clears throat> the one side of his, uh, his, his face. So just keep him in prayer. He's still pretty congested and that kind of thing, but uh, nothing, nothing seriously going on with him. So praise the Lord for that. Um, go ahead and take your Bibles tonight. Go to Ephesians. Go to the book of Ephesians. We'll start off there. Ephesians chapter number 4. <clears throat> it's funny, we're in the holiday season, and I personally, I really enjoy the holiday season. I, I, uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not a, a Scrooge or a Grinch or anything like that. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm all about it, you know, I'm for it. And uh, <laughs> I know there's a lot of people that aren't necessarily for it, uh, and that's fine. But, uh, I mean, I was raised, uh, I was raised with like a Christmas junkie. My dad was a Christmas junkie. You know, and uh, he used to sit us down and watch the, the Grinch Stole Christmas, the old cartoon one, not the stupid one with Jim Carrey. That guy is a moron. But uh, the, the old original, like, 20-minute one, you know, and, uh, and then he, we would watch it, and then he'd turn off the TV, and he'd quiz us on what we watched as if it was that important that we got the details. Like, it was a, you know, 39-and-a-half-foot pole. Like, you needed to know that. Like, that was a big deal. And so... Uh, so I'm all about it, but it's funny to me that in the holiday season, as much people, you know, they like to get out and they like to do things and they have family traditions and all that kind of stuff. You know that the holidays are some of the most depressing times for some people? Absolutely. And you know, know something about the holidays is that, uh, they, that the, uh, the suicide rate drastically goes up during the holidays because of depression. Uh, because of things just coming to the surface in a time where things are supposed to be joyful, but you don't find yourself joyful, and that puts more pressure on you for not being joyful, and it just kind of compounds the problem, <laughs> right? I want to read you something here in Ephesians chapter number four. It's the only time this phrase shows up in the Bible, and um, I find it peculiar and maybe delve into it a little bit tonight, and, and then we'll uh, take some prayer requests and, and head to the house. But here in Ephesians chapter number 4, look in verse number 17. That I say therefore and testify, <clears throat> excuse me, in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. <clears throat> now he's comparing you to other Gentiles. And he's warning you, don't walk like other Gentiles walk. He's saying, don't walk like somebody who does not have the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? That's what he's saying here. And he's, and he's warning you because he knows that there is a condition that Christians can find themselves into or get themselves into, and uh, it's really, really difficult. And look at what he says here, uh, excuse me, uh, verse number 19. 
who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. I want to just for a moment, for just a few minutes, talk about this thing about being past feeling, being past feeling, the thought of of being numb. Uh, one time I preached along these lines and the, and the title of the sermon I gave it was the curse of not caring. You know, you, you, live in a, you live in a world now where people say they don't care, but their actions show you that they really do care. You ever notice that? It's like, I don't care what people think. And then you got like tattoos all over your face and earrings popping out everywhere and you're wearing crazy clothes. And you say, why is that? Because you don't care what people think. No, you're drawing attention to yourself because you want people to notice you. That's why you act that way, right? Oh, I don't care what people think. Yeah, you do. <laughs> you 100% do. You absolutely care what people think. But it's almost like you live in a world where it's cool to not care. We see it in young people all the time. Oh, I don't care. I don't care what you think. I don't, I don't care what other people think. I don't care about that. I don't care about this. You see those people, you ever seen, you ever seen somebody that's just a shell? No emotion, just like, kind of like tuned out. Like you can't say nothing to get them mad. You can't say nothing to get them happy. They're just like, boop, just gone, right? You know, what, you know what Paul is warning us here? He's saying, listen, Christians, if you're not careful, what you can do is you can allow yourself to get so past feeling you can allow yourself to walk according to the lasciviousness of this life, according to like those who have their foolish hearts darkened. You can walk that way, and eventually what happens is, is you end up shutting down and you stop feeling certain things. You become numb. This is dangerous. We, it alludes to this as far as your conscience is concerned over there in 1 Timothy chapter 4. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says that your conscience can be seared with a hot iron. You want to know how that thing works? That thing, listen, uh, you ever see, uh, you know, everybody likes MMA, mixed martial arts stuff. I like it. It's fun. You know, I like to see people get knocked out. I think that's funny. You know, I wouldn't do it personally, but uh, there's something manly about it. And I just, I like it. You know, you say you're a barbarian. I don't care. I like it. Right. But I see somebody sometimes, you ever see somebody like, you know, just like roundhouse kick somebody to the side of the head and they just shut off. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And they just, and they're down on the ground, right? You know what they do in order to do that? They, they do what they call in Muay Thai, they call it conditioning your shins. And you know how you condition your shins? They sometimes they take a piece of acrylic or they take a, a glass bottle, they take a wooden stick. And what they do is they start banging their shins with it. Or they take that bottle and they just go up and down their shins like that. Try that sometime. I watched a video on that one time and I thought, I'm going to try that. You know, I'll be tough. You know, just in case I want to kick something. You ever, you ever walk through a parking lot and you didn't see the, the Reese hitch sticking out way too far? And it's just shin, it's just shin height, you know? And you're like, bong! <laughs> oh! <laughs> and you're just trying to not cry. You know what I'm saying? And I'm thinking, if I could, could condition my shins, that would mean nothing to me anymore, right? 
And so you get you a broom handle and you just start and you get like two inches down your shin. You're like, nah, I'm good. Nah, I'll just, I'll deal with the, I'll deal with the pain and short bursts when it comes, right? Because it hurts. So the thing is, is what happens is, is they tell you when you're trying to condition your shins, you have to constantly hit it over and over and over and over again. And what happens is, is the nerve endings, they start to deaden. And then eventually the nerve endings in your shins go numb. And you could sit there. I've seen, I've seen martial arts guys go to a telephone pole and just start whacking that telephone pole. Whack. And you can hear it. Whack. Whack. You listen to some of these fights and stuff like that. You know what's really big right now? The shin kick and the, and the calf kick. What they realized is in mixed martial arts, when you can throw a kick and whoever, if he's southpaw, he's got his leg out. Or if he's regular, he's got his other leg out. And if you can continually chop that leg with a front kick and just smack that leg, you see those things start to bubble up and the calf muscles start to bubble up and everything else, and all of a sudden that guy can't stand, and so you force him to go, you force him to go open, and now he's open, and now you can knock the guy out. It's a tactic in fighting. You want to know how they do that? They condition their shins. You want to know what we can do sometimes? We can condition ourselves, and we become numb to certain things. The Bible tells us that we can be past feeling. The Bible t- told us in 1 Timothy that we, can be, uh, that we can have our conscience, but it can be seared with a hot iron, as in it doesn't do anything anymore. It's just dead. It, you, know, no, you, ever, you know what I'm saying? The more you expose yourself to, the more hits that you take to your conscience, the more you can deaden your conscience. You know that? The more you expose yourself to and the more you allow in and the more that you justify and the more that you just partake and all that kind of stuff. And you're just a little here, a little there. What happened every time it's just a little hit and a little hit. And what you're doing, the Bible says is you can get to a place where it's just like you took a hot iron and you went and you burnt every nerve ending. And now all of a sudden, something that you did 10 years ago that you felt sick over, you don't feel sick over it anymore. You know, and you hear, and you hear a certain word, or you hear a certain phrase, or you see a certain image, and before you'd go, oh my goodness, or, or it would bother you, like, why do they talk like that? You know what you do now? No big deal. No big deal. It doesn't even bother you anymore. It doesn't even flinch anymore. Why is that? You want to know something? That whole thing about guilt and that thing about your conscience, you know, bearing witness and that kind of thing. And when you do wrong, that Holy Spirit comes inside there and you can feel it when he's grieved and when he's quenched. And that conscience comes in and says, you did wrong. You know what? Even if if you fall flat on your face every day and you sin every single day and you have a problem every single day, you'd be better off thanking God that you felt bad for it than conditioning yourself to just live with it. Because you know what the Bible tells you you can do? You can become past feeling. Numb. No big deal. Nothing, nothing happening anymore. It's just, it's just dead. You know, sometimes I just say, Lord, make, just help me feel bad about when I do wrong. <laughs> don't, don't, let me, don't let me just, you know, feel nothing. Because you want to know the scary thing is, is, is that there's certain, the Bible tells you, be careful for nothing. 
So you say, well, you're telling, you're telling us that we should care, but the Bible says be careful for nothing. He says be careful for nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be known unto God. He's talking about the needs in which you have. You shouldn't care. He says take no thought for your, for your life or for uh, what you should put on. He says consider the lilies. I take care of them. And you can't add one cubic to your stature. Those are things that you shouldn't care about. But trust me, as a Christian, there's plenty of things you should care about. You ever hear, you know, I hear Christians say it all the time. I don't care. Why? Where do you get that? How is that okay that you don't care? Why are you so numb? Because, you know, the Bible tells us that we shouldn't be hard and we shouldn't be callous. And we shouldn't be past feeling. The Bible tells us over in Romans chapter 10, be kindly affectioned one toward another. With brotherly love, it says in honor, preferring one another. I shouldn't come here and say, I don't care what y'all think about me. I'd be full of the devil to say that. I'd be so tone deaf to the spirit of God for me to come in and say, I don't care what those people think about me. Now, if I'm preaching or I'm doing something for God and I get criticism or something like that and it's not warranted or it's not rooted in anything that I should worry about, then I should let it go. Right? I should let that go. You can't, listen, there's a balance here as with everything, but you're not going to get it from the Bible that you just shouldn't care what people think. You know, a lot of times why you say you don't care or people say they don't care, you want to know why that is? It's because you don't want to change. And you don't want nobody to call you out on your foolishness. And you ain't going to let nobody tell you something that you did wrong or none of that stuff. Forget your conscience. You're just like, who are you to tell me? It's a rebellious thing. It's a rebellious thing. Uh, I know you see it in young people, and young people get the rap for a lot of stuff. But guess what? It's in the older folks, too. Oh, I, I've been there, done that. I don't care. I'm past that. I don't care what people think about me anymore. You sure about that? Is that the way you want to go out? Not caring how anybody thinks about you? Not caring what, what, not caring what your actions are projecting on the younger generation so that they look at you and say, oh, he didn't really care about us anyway, so. Is that how you want to be left? Is that how you want to be remembered? You know, the Bible says be careful because you can get past feeling. The Bible tells us to rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. Can I ask you this? How can you rejoice and weep with those that are rejoicing and weeping if you don't care? How can you do that if you're not in tune to how other people think and feel? You know, I, I think it's a, lost, it's, a, it's a lost art is having discernment with other people. We talk about spiritual discernment when it comes to the will of God in our lives and those kinds of things. And yes, sometimes we can become very uh, self-focused when it comes to Christianity. But you want to know something? Christianity isn't just about you. And so, yeah, I want spiritual discernment and decisions that I make in life. But you want to know another aspect of spiritual discernment is discerning other people around you and their needs and their cares and their desires and their wants. You know, that, that Bible told us to we, we should prefer one another, right? I should prefer to be here than somewhere else. I've caught a lot of flack over the years for saying this. I say this to teenagers, and I'll go ahead and just put my foot in my mouth. I, I've caught flack for it, and I don't care. <laughs> no. 
Again, it was a critic, it's a criticism that's not rooted in anything. If you could present something to me where I would be wrong for saying this, I tell young people, I tell, I tell, I mean, I did not just remember, everybody in here, your best friends in the world should be people you go to church with. You know how many times I've been yelled at over that? You're telling me I'm not supposed to have friends outside of church? I never said that. I said the best friends that you have should be people you go to church with. And if it's not, then you're out of balance. Let me ask you, why are they not? Why aren't they? What's wrong with us? <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> Is it because you don't prefer us? Well, they just don't talk to me. They don't. And then all of a sudden you go to that place where it's like nitpicking this, nitpicking this. And the Bible says, if you want to have friends, what does the Bible tell you to do? To show yourself friendly. You want to know how you show yourself friendly? You care about other people. You ever think that maybe the reason nobody talking to you is because you don't talk to nobody else? <laughs> what a thought, right? Do you ever, do you ever think, do you ever think that maybe if you just put out the olive branch, that maybe you know somebody would come your way? You want to know something? I've been doing this long enough to know now that I used to think I could do it myself. I didn't need any friends and I didn't need anybody. You know what I know now? I know I need some people behind me. I need some people in my corner. You know what I've realized now? If I want the text message at 3 in the morning saying, hey, brother, I'm praying for you, I'd better start sending some myself. Right? Better start caring about somebody other than myself. You know what? I don't want to be past feeling. I want to feel... The, 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 the pain of other, of other people. I want to rejoice in the joys of other people. Right? I, I, I want to be the wind in somebody's sails. Amen? I don't want to be a discouragement. But you want to know something? It's, it's, I understand that being past feeling is what, we, is what we're talking about tonight. And there's this thing, that conditioning, that constant hit. That con Anybody in here ever have like an old pair of sweatpants? Come on, everybody in here has got an old pair of sweatpants, right? You know what I'm saying? You got an old pair of sweatpants and maybe, you know, you, you, maybe you're like me and you were skinnier and then you got bigger and then you got skinnier again because it's just like a revolving door of weight, you know? And what you realize is, you know, it was with you when you were small and they were with you when you were big and then you got skinnier again and you're like, they're not with me the same way they were before <laughs> right you know and it's like if you have an elastic band and you stretch that thing in all different directions and that thing's under stress and duress and all of a sudden it doesn't latch on to you as tight as it used to <laughs> right that's kind of like how caring is that's kind of like how your feelings are sometimes you can be spread so thin that it's hard to find a place to care and you know what? Take your Bibles and go to Mark chapter number 6. I, this is where I really want to get the message tonight. Mark chapter number 6. The disciples the, and the apostles here are mentioned coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I read through my Bible today, and I'm, and I'm just reading through the scripture myself, and I, I come upon this, and I'm reading it, and and I can't help but think of the mindset in which they're in when they come to the Lord in verse number 30. It says, And the apostles gathered themselves unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. 
And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For uh, there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. You want to know something? As those disciples, uh, the the events that had taken place in the disciples' life up to this point is just like you and I. Because sometimes if we're just being honest, we just don't care as much as we used to sometimes. Sometimes we've taken hit after hit after hit after hit and we've been stretched and pulled in every different direction that the world can throw at us and we're just trying to get to church and it's like, man, I'm numb. Listen, as much as I don't want to be past feeling, if I'm being honest tonight, listen, there's been times when everybody's joyful and it's a time to be be joyful and it's a time to be happy and I don't feel anything at all. There's been times in church for me that when it's time to go to the altar and it's time to be weeping and it's a time to be praying and it's a time to respond, there's nothing going on in me. And I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? I don't feel a thing. Anybody here ever get like that? I'm just talking real life tonight. Maybe I'm talking to myself, but I just know for me personally, I get there. And I know the Bible told me that I can get, and it was a warning to not get past feeling. There's some times where I'm just, I'm past caring. I just don't care anymore. My caring has done, been busted. You ever just have so much stuff going on where you just simply, you don't, there's just not enough care left in you to care about everything that you need to care about. These disciples, you want to know what they've endured up to this point? How about they've, they've gone through a catastrophe. One of, their, one of the people that they looked up to, one of the greatest preachers ever graced the, the, the face of the planet in John the Baptist has been murdered. And they're, and they're, and they're in this catastrophe and now they're, they're overwhelmed with sorrow and they're, and, they're just, and they're just burdened down. And it's like, man, we just lost one of the greatest we just lost the guy that we, we watched him baptize Jesus and we, and we watched the dove and we heard the voice and all that stuff. And he even said there's no greater than John the Baptist. And now he's gone. And they're overtaken with sorrow. And then you look at what it says over there uh, in verse 29. It says, and when the disciples heard of it, heard of what? Heard of his death. You all know what they're thinking now? Now they all of a sudden, they have this catastrophe, but now all of a sudden they're really concerned. Because if that happens to John the Baptist, what in the world is going to happen to them? (laughs) They're sitting there thinking, I ain't half the person that John was, and he got his head cut off. Put on a charger and and brought and hand-delivered. I'm no better than him. You ever been through sorrows in your life and then just compounds with concerns of yourself? I remember after uh, I had a friend pass away and then I uh, had a, my friend's brother come up to me and he says, oh, I, I just wonder if it's going to happen to me too. Why are you so scared? You're overtaken with sorrow and now all of a sudden that sorrow breeds a concern in your own life and it just compounds. You know, there's, uh, 
there's things that there's things that you should be concerned about. There's things that you shouldn't be concerned about. You live in a world that tries to get you concerned about everything. Everything's a red letter news line. Everything is just is literally. Listen, folks. If you, however you consume your news, it's designed to concern you. That's how it grabs you. That's the only reason it's written a certain way. It's to get you concerned so you click on it. That's the way the entire thing works now. And then you read a paragraph down and you realize it's not what the headline was at all. And the world's not ending. And it was something taken out of context. And it's no big deal. And you know what? And every time I talk to somebody now, they go, man, it's so bad. You want to know why they, know why they talk like that? It's because you're reading the headlines. Because you're reading the stinking headlines. And you're listening to opinion journalists. You're not listening to news people. You're listening to Tucker Carlson. Who as, is about as stinking opinionated as you could be and makes you think that that you know you got Hitler marching down the main street now you know what it's a it's a it's a spit in the face of everyone that went through what happened in Germany to think that you're living uh like they did in Germany now (laughs) you spit in the eye of them (laughs) what they endured listen they're concerned what about us they got concerns. Listen, folks, in here you have concerns. You have legitimate concerns, right? What's going to happen? You know, economy and how you're going to, you know, get through the winter and how you're going to gas prices and all this different stuff. There's, we're just prone for that. And you know what else? <laughs> they've been they've been enduring criticism. You know, that's difficult. That's really. Really difficult. It's just, it's just a couple chapters back where Jesus is, is going and he's preaching and he goes to preach in the synagogue and they, and they go, aren't you the carpenter's son? We're not listening to you. We know who you are. We know where you came from. We know your mom. We know your dad. We ain't listening to you. And a prophet is not, prophet is not without honor saving his own country. And he's like, and they're just, and he, he's just, he's just getting the criticism left and right. You know, it's not, it's not coincidental that in chapter number 7, the disciples go and they're just walking through a field and the Pharisees and the scribes come and they see them picking ears of corn and stuff like that. And know what they start doing? He says, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, uh, that is to say, with unwashed hands, they found fault. You want to know something that will stretch you thin? You want to know something that will just beat you down until you don't care and you don't feel anything anymore? Is constant criticism from other people. you got to learn how to take criticism. And when I say you have to learn how to take criticism, that means you have to learn how to take good criticism and you have to learn how to dispose of bad criticism. Does that make sense? You ever heard the term, eat the meat and spit out the bones? Okay, you know how much criticism we've gotten as a church from people who've left our church who no longer go to church? I'm not up here slamming anybody. But if you leave a church, right? If you leave a church and you don't go to another church, but you want to criticize the church you left, your criticism is not worth anything. Because you didn't go back to church. 
So it, so it wasn't the church's problem, it was your problem. Because if you really loved church and you wanted to see it done right and you wanted it to be right, then you'd go find a church that was doing it right. Instead of run your mouth. It's not cultish to say you need to be careful about when people leave and, and just and stand super buddy-buddy with them because people keep their hands and keep trying to stir the pot and keep trying to mess with things because they can't leave something that they left and they're under conviction every time they see you. And they just, dap, 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 what's going on? What's he saying? What's this, that, and the other? You want to know something? A lot of fires would get put out if we just stop messing around with it, looking at what they're posting, looking at what they're saying. You know why they get all the you know why they get all the views? It ain't from the world looking at them, it's from y'all looking at them. <laughs> Amen. You say, why shouldn't you look at it? Because the criticism isn't valid. Somebody left the church and went to another church and they were faithful and doing it right, and they said, Man, they're just doing something over there that I just don't agree with. Well, maybe, maybe listen to them. Right? Was it a doctrinal thing? Was it this, that, and the other? Never is. Right? You have to take that in your personal life. I've had people criticize me about certain things, and you know what you have to do? You have to consider the source. You have to consider the source. Listen, I've had people that never have kids come up and critique my parenting. Where's your kids at? You know? I've had people come up to me that have kids that are like way out there. And I'm thinking, why am I going to listen to you? Well, I'm going to take parenting advice from you and your crazy kids, like, you know, destroying something over here, and he's, and he's going crazy over here. And why in the world am I going to take parenting advice from you? <laughs> right? You have to consider the source. But then, when it does hit you on the bell, man, you got to learn how to take that lump in your throat and say, oh, yeah, it's me, Lord. It's me in the need of prayer. I've told the story before, but we had a guy back in Indiana, and his name was, uh, what was his name? What? No, it wasn't Wesley. It was uh, homeless. He wasn't homeless, but, uh, man, I can't remember his name. I have it written down in my Bible. Eddie. His name was Eddie. It's written next to the verse that said, if any man loved God, the same was known of him, and I have it. It's Eddie. Eddie never showered. Eddie had fingernails this long. Eddie rode a bike to church. He lived in the Section 8 housing, right? And he wasn't, he wasn't mentally handicapped. He just uh, he wasn't all there. You know what I'm saying? And he got Social Security, and, you know, everybody would rob him every month, so he barely had any money to live, you know? And he'd come in, and, uh, and, he, and he'd go down to the park, and all he did was go down to the park, sit on a bench, and start witnessing to people. That's what, that's what Eddie did. And Eddie never missed a service. And uh, you'd start singing, and Eddie could not sing for nothing. Eddie was, uh, as, he was loud, and he'd, he'd start crying, and that's how he'd cry. He'd sound like a teapot going off. You're like, oh, man, Eddie, <laughs> you know. And uh, I remember one time I was uh, cutting up with the teens there at the church, and, um, and, uh, and I had, we had, it was a winter, winter out, and I was starting to scrape the... Uh, the sidewalk, getting all the ice off of it, and Eddie pulled up on his bike. And Eddie came up to me, and he rebuked me sharply about how I was messing around with the teens and stuff. 
He says, you shouldn't act like that. You're supposed to be the, you're supposed to be the youth pastor, and you're cutting up with them too much, and they don't, they're not going to respect you. And you know, my first thought was, who are you to tell me how to deal with teens when you can't do this? And I started going down everything bad about Eddie, right? And I remember he just nonchalantly, like, hugged me. <laughs> like, like, that's the way he was. He, like, sharply rebuked me. He's like, but I love you. And he hugged me, and I'm like, oh. And he, like, went back in, into the church, and I'm just out there with that ice chip, and I'm chiseling stuff out. And, uh, and the Lord's like, uh, what did he say? I was like, Lord, it doesn't matter what he said. And I was so mad, and I'm wrestling with the Lord. And the Lord says, yeah, maybe you need to not do that. And I'll never forget that. The Lord said, he just rang your bell, and I'll use people like that to ring your bell. You know what? God will put people that you don't like, and they'll tell you something, and it's exactly what you need to hear. God will put somebody in your life you don't respect, and they'll tell you exactly what you need to hear, and you better take it. God, you know what the Lord did this to me? Man, I can't stand it. Listen, I went to counseling the whole time I was a little, I was a teenager or like a young person after my parents got divorced. They put me in uh, counseling and stuff like that. And I was going to guidance counselor all the time. And I was there for probably four or five years because I was some kind of troubled kid or something. And uh, they got to the end of that thing. You know what they did? They made a, a grandiose diagnosis. And they said, you have a problem with female authority. I was like, it took you that long to figure that out, that I don't like a lady telling me what to do? I was like, good night, man. Who's paying these people? It's like, you could have asked me and I'd have told you that, you know? And sure enough, we're taking this leadership course and work right now. And our teacher just happened to be absent the other day. And I got to sit in a nine-hour class with this lady telling me how to be a leader. And I'm just like, ain't having it, man. I'm not making eye contact. I'm just like in my chair, like I'm doing my time. I'm taking my notes. She's just regurgitating notes at this point. You know, I don't care, right? And, uh, and she's like, and she's dropping hints that she knows that I'm not happy about it. You know, she's like, and you know, when people become disconnected and don't make eye contact, I'm like, keep trying, sister. It ain't going to work. <laughs> I'm, I'm dug in, man. I am dug in. I'm like, sorry. I ain't, you're not, te- like, I, I have mentors that, like, are men. You know what I'm saying? And i just sorry. You know, there's certain things. You, women, you could teach me how to do certain things, right? And uh, I'm not like that. I'm not like some male chauvinist pig. But in that ser- scenario, in that setting, I'm like, nah, I just don't like it. And I, my wife, I called my wife at lunch or something. And uh, I wasn't able to speak out, you know, because everyone was there. And, uh, and I said, remember that thing about when I was a teenager? She said, oh, a woman's teaching the class, huh? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah. And she's like, oh, you're so mad. <laughs> I'm like, shut up. <laughs> you want to know something? I was sitting with my wife, and I was talking about some stuff the other night. And something that lady said was so stinking spot on. And I'm sitting there going, you know what? That lady was right. And you know what? I needed something. And in that class, that lady gave it to me. And the Lord does that kind of stuff. The Lord does that kind of stuff. And you know, you need to learn how to take criticism. But you know what criticism can do? It can spread you real thin, man. 
especially unwarranted criticism, it just irks you up one side and down the other. Someone telling you how to do it and you don't know they don't have it. And they just think that it's their place to just constantly tell you how to do things and what to do and it's not their place. It wears you thin. They're used to it. <clears throat> you know what else can wear you real thin? The care of others. Ever since the beginning of the book of Mark, you know, it's just been everybody else's problems. You know, Paul said that. He says, and above all this, the care of the churches. Other people's problems, man. You know, they, they just think about it. In chapter 2, there comes a man with palsy. Chapter 3, man with a withered hand. Chapter 5, maniac of Gadara. Jairus' daughter. Women with the issue of blood. Countless people, lame and sick, maimed. Healing their sick, one after another, every moment of every day, everybody at their worst, and everybody comes to you with their problems. And you've got kids with problems, and you've got cousins with problems, and you've got parents with problems, and you've got people's problems just on your doorstep all the time. And you know what? The more you deal with other people's problems, you know what you realize? It wears you thin. And you know what it can do? It can get your, get your care just run out don't care anymore. I don't have, I don't, I, I can't fix everybody's problems. I'm not Jesus, right? You ever get to the point where you're just like, I can't touch you and restore your hand. I, listen, I can't touch you and, and, and soak up the issue. I can't cast the devil out. You know what? irks me sometimes the most is I get more and more phone calls with stuff going on with people and and I'm not complaining about it I I like it I, it's, it, it's something the Lord's put in me but you want to know something there's it comes a time where I just got to start praying about that thing and say Lord I can't there's nothing in and of myself that I can do you need to help these folks you need to help the situation this is really bad stuff but you want to know where you thin the care of others and all of a sudden, somebody comes to you with your problem, and you're just like, I just don't got nothing else. You know, I got nothing else to give. In chapter 4, he gives a parable of the sower, and you know what else he taught you? The cares of this world. You guys got jobs. You have responsibilities in the world. You got to put food on the table. You got to pay the bills. You got to take care of business. And you know what that can do? Man, it wears you thin. You know what it can do? Just like constant, just beat down, catastrophes, concerns, criticisms, the care of others, the cares of this world. What am I going to do? What's my job going to do? I don't have enough money. This is late. This is going on. I got stress at work. Got to hit a deadline. Got this big thing going on. A million different pieces at work. Trying to just do everything I can to just get here and get to church on a Wednesday night in the middle of the rain. I know it's difficult. There's some times sitting there and I just get off, especially for some reason, I have, I have all this stuff that has to be done on Wednesday. I don't know why everything has to be done on a Wednesday night. Ever notice that? Why does everything have to? Why is the deadline always Wednesday? It's like you, you need a bid by Wednesday. Why? Why can you have need a bid by Thursday? You know? And you're sitting there and you go, I haven't missed in a while. You know, I'm and you just do everything you can just to get here because the cares of the world is just like pulling you down. And you don't like your boss and you don't like the situation you're in and you're just kind of like you're, you're just busted, man. You're busted. 
And then let's not get twisted. You know what else these disciples have endured? Church. Can I just be honest and open for a second and not over-sanctimonious? You want to know sometimes the gamut of church can wear you down? Every Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. These guys have been in the synagogues with Jesus since chapter 1. In and out. And when they're not in the synagogues, he finds a good place like a ship on the seaside and that people wading out in the water and on the beach and they're just listening to him preach. And they're there every time the doors are open. And they get this news and all of a sudden the news that, that, that there's that thing, there's that straw that breaks the camel's back and they come and they, and they get around Jesus and they just tell, they kind of report in and in verse 30 I can see that these apostles, they gather themselves around Jesus and they're just kind of reporting in but man, they are done caring. They are wore out. They're busted. They've heard him preach a million times and they don't feel prone to go to the altar anymore. They got everybody, they say everybody's problem, but I got problems, man. I'm trying to help everybody else, but I'm a mess. You ever feel that way? And you just want to back yourself into a dark corner and just disappear for a minute? You know what Jesus Christ does to remedy that? He says, hey guys, it's time to come apart. We got to go somewhere. We got to get away from this. You know what? I said all of that to say, you know what we really need to do to combat this past feeling, to combat the numbness that can come in, to combat the stagnation that can happen in our, in our Christian lives is this, is this small bit of advice that the Lord gives them. The Lord, see, he can perceive what's going on in their hearts. And in verse 31, he says, come yourselves apart into a desert place. Jesus Christ knew the value of getting by yourself. Listen, folks. There's a time where you just need to just get apart. There's a time when you just need to press pause and just take some time and get away. Now, I'm not saying that you need to go to Florida. <laughs> I'm not saying that you need to spend a bunch of money on a vacation. Some of you are like, that's what I needed, Lord. I've been praying about it. And who's going to go on that cruise? <laughs> and That's the answer to my prayer. That's not what I'm saying. Sometimes it's the value of your closet. You know, you ever been hit with something so hard and you just kind of go, I just need a minute. And you just kind of just come over here and you kind of try to gather yourself because you just, it's just too much right now. I just need a minute. And you turn your back to everybody and you just by yourself and you say, just give me a second, just a second. And in that second, what you're doing is you're, is you're turning everything off and you're getting alone with your thoughts and you're saying, Lord, what in the world do I do? What do I prioritize? What do you want? What has to, because listen, not everything can be done at once. So what, what, what gets number one? What gets number two? What gets number three? You know, where does it go? You know what? <laughs> A couple things here about going apart and the time that you need to get apart. And yes, it's prayer. Yes, it's getting, getting alone. Yes, it's, it's getting the Lord's mind on certain things. I can't stress enough the need for Christians to get by themselves alone with God. 
It's just in the world you live in today, there's too much that gets inputted into you on a daily basis that you don't spend some time by yourself turning everything off and just coming apart for a minute. And you've heard the, you've heard the sermon title before, coming apart before you come apart. Because guess what? These disciples, they're literally getting pulled every which way at the seams and they're about to bust. And that's some of us. That's, that's me sometimes. You know what? I need to learn to get, I need to come apart. One thing you need to know, and this will be quick and we'll be done, it needs to be purposely. You need to come apart and you need to, you need to purposely do it. Verse 31 tells you, and he said to them, come ye yourselves apart. You make the decision because you're either going to make time for it or it's not going to happen. It doesn't happen on accident. It's not something that you come to church and that's your time apart. That's not your time apart. Church is still a time of input. What you're doing right now is not setting yourself apart right now. What you're doing right now is you're receiving. You're inputting what is being given to you. That's what you're doing right now. What you need is a time to set it apart where nothing is coming in and it's just you and God processing stuff. That's what you need. And if you don't purposely put that time in your life, you will come apart at the seams. You will be so overwhelmed and you get hit from every different angle. You'll get past feeling and you'll be sitting in church just as numb as a tooth that's been shot up with some Novocaine. You won't feel a thing. And you'll say, I'm about to come unglued. Because there's just too much going on. You need to do it purposely. You need to do it privately. Verse 32. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. I can't say enough in the world in which we live in today, we're so connected that some of you don't get up in the morning and not check your phone before anything else happens in your own mind. Some of you, the first thing that your eyes see after they wake out of sleep is the blue glow of a phone. That's the truth. Because we have to be connected. You know what? Listen, I'm all for fellowship. I love fellowship. But I know this. Fellowship isn't going to get me through I need friends and I need fellowship, but primarily I need to be alone with God. Because Christianity, listen, Christianity isn't contingent on fellowship. Christianity is contingent on private time with you and God. I know this, I can still be a Christian and be right with God and have the presence of God in my life if everyone in the world leaves and I'm all by myself. So the most important thing is private time between you and the Lord. It's not the time that you pray at the table. And it's not the time that you pray with your wife if you do that. It's not the time that you get over here in church. It's not prayer before the services. It's not the worship service. It's got to be time where you are by yourself with you and God and you're processing what's going on in your life. Lord, I need help here. I need help with this decision. Lord, I'm overwhelmed here. God, this, this, this pressure that's on me, I can't do it. I found myself the other day with this job that I'm working on right now, I've never dealt with a job as big as I'm dealing with right now in my career. There's more moving pieces on this one job than I've ever dealt with in any other place. It's an $11 million job. 
I've never messed with something this big before. And the amount of moving pieces that I, that I have to make sure are happening and the, and the people I have to answer back to on this large of a scale, I've never had this amount of pressure on me professionally in my career. You know what? I find myself in my closet going, Lord, I can't do this. I don't, I'm, not some, I'm not some great guy that you know, has this amazing ability Lord, time and chance happens to everybody, and this is what's in my plate, and if you don't pull this thing through, I'm going to look like a moron. <laughs> Lord, help me. Lord, help me. God, I don't know. I don't know how to console. I don't know how to do this. Lord, there's some stuff in my life that I just, I'm having a hard time with. Why am I struggling with this? Lord, I need help. Lord, show me what to do. Is this something that can be fixed or is this something that I have to learn to live with? God, help me. And the quietness and the earnestness, what that does is it's just you and him and you can be as vulnerable as you can be with God and you can be as open with God that you would never be open, not even with your own spouse. You have to learn how to let that thing out because what happens is, is you, when you get overwhelmed and you get past feeling, what happens is, is you lock up. And you keep all that stuff inside. And it's that pressure that you feel building up. The private time between you and the Lord is where you open the valve and allow the pressure to come out. And then the Lord can come in and put the bomb of Gilead in there and say, let's get that infection. There's a lot of inflammation in there. A lot of worry. A lot of concern. A lot of anger. A lot of uncertainty. And he can just put the bomb of Gilead on there. And it's funny with just a little talk what Jesus will do. But man, we need to get private and alone just between us and God and allow that time to just be open and be honest and be vulnerable like you wouldn't be with anybody else in your life. It's got to be done privately. And here's a peculiar thing that I see and will be done. It needs to be routinely. Now, you probably saw that coming, but it's funny how I get it out of the passage because in verse 32, it says that they depart into a desert place by ship privately. But look at what verse 33 says. And the people saw them departing and many knew him and ran afoot thither out of all the cities and went unto them and came thither unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion towards them because they were a sheep not having a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. You know what happens? They go and they say, all right, man, this is great. We get a time to get apart. We're going to get close to Jesus. We're his disciples. We're the close guys with him. We're just going to get a chance. It was the Lord's idea. And so, you know, we've seen him along the road, and he just stops every time somebody needs something. He's always preaching and teaching. He told us we're going to have time, and we're going to go over here. And you know what you find out? Something comes up. Something comes up. I try to get alone, and it's like, I didn't get the one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus I was looking for. I didn't get, I didn't get that, like, that feeling like I thought I did, you know? I didn't think I'd, I thought it would be something different, right? You know what you find out over in Luke when it talks about the Lord and he talks about getting apart and praying and stuff? And it says, as he was wont to do. That means that the Lord was it, was, it was accustomed to him. It was a routine in the Lord's life where he would just break away and just go find a place secluded and start praying. That was a part of who he was. That was a part of how he did it. 
And yes, this time he goes to them and says, hey, come apart. And they did. And they came apart. It wasn't their idea to let everybody come. But guess what? Not every time you come apart, there's miraculous things happen. But you know what does happen in chapter 9? The Lord says, hey, guys, come apart. And they go, yeah, we've been apart before. Looks like we're going to have to put our our work boots on. You know what happens when they come apart in chapter 9? He transfigures before them. You say, what are you talking about? If you don't come apart routinely, you'll miss chapter 9. Because it's in that routine of getting by yourself and, 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 and getting alone with the Lord and making that time. Not every, not every time you come apart does he transfigure. But you know what he does do? He transfigures when he needs to. And it'll be that time when you don't think you can go any further and you've got all the questions in the world. And you know what God will do? In that routine and in that private and purposeful time, he will transfigure himself and you'll say, oh, it's good for me to be here. Let's just make a couple tabernacles and hang out for a while. Because everything in this world doesn't mean a thing now that I've seen him as he is. And can I take a little bit of pressure off you, church? Because guess what? Everybody's prone to come apart at the seams. Everybody's prone to get beat so many times they get past feeling. And it seems like church isn't doing nothing. And it seems like this. I'm not telling you to stop coming to church. What I'm telling is is that those things are remedied between you and the Lord one-on-one in earnest prayer, just like Elijah finds himself underneath a juniper tree. And the Lord never rebukes him. The Lord says, you need some water? You need something to eat? I know you're tired. It's a lot. It's a lot on you. Right? Moses, two million plus people, and the Lord telling them to, lead him into the wilderness and do all this stuff. And, and Moses says, hey, hard stop, Lord. Uh, you told me you were with me and, and all this different stuff. How do I know? Lord, if you're not with us, I don't want to go another step. I beseech you, God, show me thy glory. And he speaks these wonderful words to Moses. He says, hey, over there in Exodus 33, he says, there's a place by me. Go ahead and get to the place. Go ahead and get to your, go ahead and come apart, Moses, because in the place where you need me the most, when you're past feeling and you don't feel like you care anymore and your, 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 you know, your care button is busted and you don't feel like you've been, you feel like you've been emotionally drained, you're spiritually drained, you're physically drained, you're mentally drained. He says, come apart. And in that moment, you need me the most. I'm never early and I'm never late. I'm right on time. And he shows up for Moses, just like he'll show up for you and just like he'll show up for me. And just like everything that you face in this life, you may think you can't handle it. And you think, Lord, I'm coming apart at the seams and Lord, I'm numb and Lord, I'm this. The only place you get in trouble is when you stop having that private time and letting the pressure off. And only you can decide that. Only you in here know that. Some of you in here, you could come give me the saddest story, the saddest story in the world. 
Let me ask you something. I'm not saying, I'm not one of these guys that thinks, oh, well, whatever problem you have in your life is probably because you're not praying and reading your Bible enough. I think that's stupid. Not every problem's fixed like that. But you want to know what I do know? That the solution for every problem starts the same. And it starts with you getting alone and privately getting alone with God and letting the pressure off and saying, Lord, how do I fix this? Lord, lead me to the right doctor. Lord, give me the right, give me the right, uh, give me the right uh, uh, wisdom. Give me the right decision to make here. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Because there is an answer if he wants it to be. But it's only through that personal, purposeful, private time, routinely, does the Lord give you the clarity that you need to have to get through these things. Because, you know, the, the byproduct is, I just don't care. I'm going to go through the motions. Yeah, I'll be at church, but I ain't going to respond. I ain't going to sing. You ain't going to tell me what to do. Right? I'm not going to the altar. I ain't saying amen because there's nothing going on anymore. And it's funny that in Ephesians chapter 4, you know what he tells you the, the remedy for that is? Is in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, he says, Be kind one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. He says that a few verses after he says, Past feeling. You don't want to know what you got to do? Soften up. How do you soften up? The renewing of your mind? How do you renew your mind? Constant communication with the Lord. You got to process that thing with the Lord. You got to shut off the input and start processing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. Thank you, Lord, for all that came out. I hope that these words tonight would be of an encouragement, Father. Lord, it would remove some pressure, but also give us a direction to see how we spend enough time <clears throat> with you privately uh, in our own chambers, Father. Truly, the Christian life is one uh, in private prayer time. Uh, with you. And so, God, I pray that you'd help me personally uh, with that, Father, as well as these that are in here as a church. God, I thank you for these folks, and I pray, Lord, that you bless them. And, Father, if there be somebody in here, Lord, that has that same pressure, that same struggle, that same uh, tension in their life, Father, as so many of us have felt, Father, I pray that you might give them some relief tonight. And, Father, maybe if they find themselves uh, home this evening after prayer, uh, Father, that they would... Uh, Maybe get some relief in their prayer closet tonight, Father. You'd relieve some of that pressure, uh, Lord, and, 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 and may they enjoy the, uh, the season that's upon us. Lord, we love you. We ask, God, that you bless the rest of this evening in the time of prayer requests. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.